Welcome to another episode of Tech by Design. <laughs> Alex. I've never seen Nick not have like a little comment. <laughs> that is my comment. Silence is your comment. Got it's it. It's late, man. 4.30 is almost bedtime. I've been awake for too many hours. What time do you work out lately? I, I try to get to the gym around 5, which means by 4.30 p.m. I have run my course. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Tech by Design where the Richmond Technology Council takes you to the edge for trending tech and innovation here in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Nick Surface, CEO of RVA Tech, along with Alex Atanias, CEO of Shaco. Come join us. Well, Alex, we have a little bit more of a structured approach today. We're changing things up a little bit. We're taking tech by design through the Richmond technology ecosystem, and hopefully adding a few more case studies and analyses and uh, deep dives into specific companies and the technologies that they offer. How does that sound? I like it. I love promoting what we do here at RVA. And more than just promoting it, I love understanding what businesses are doing because it's just fun, especially in the tech space. So the business I want to understand better today is Babylon Microfarms. So for those that don't know, Babylon Microfarms is a company here in Richmond that is working to advance and modernize the growing the farming experience, the micro farming experience. By micro farming, we mean uh, farming in small confined spaces, hospitals, restaurants, corporations, things like that. But some highlights about Babylon Microfarms, they were one of the 2023 best tech startups in Richmond. They were the winner of the 2023 RVA Tech Emerging Small Business Award. Uh, They recently earned uh, approximately $8 million in startup funding. They've been featured on TechCrunch and also recently partnered with MSC Cruise Lines to uh, have their product put in on the water, I should say. So that's not too shabby uh, for a startup here in Richmond. Alex, what do you know about Babylon Microfarms? Yeah, no, great question. So so I, I've been from a distance just kind of looking at what they do and I like it, right? It's essentially vertical farming. It's indoor agriculture. So I think, again, for the audience that is interested to your point, like what they are trying to do is take this expensive process. And I think they have like, they're, they're trying to work with businesses to basically show the potential, right? But the reality is it involves growing crops vertically. So it's it's stacks of crops grown in shelves. My understanding is that it is soil free, which is really cool. So it's a hydroponic growth or aeroponic, right? Water versus air. I would love to ask Alex to see where, where he stands on hydroponic versus aeroponic. I think the cool thing about this system is it delivers nutrients straight to the roots. So it is more efficient. In some cases, it uses less water. If I read correctly, it's it's about 70% less water than traditional farming methods. One of the cool things is it doesn't require pesticides or herbicides, right? Because you are growing in a controlled environment. So so it has less attacks from, from the outside. You can adjust humidity temperatures. You could basically adjust light. Um, it's a really cool concept. And, and it's been, I mean, people have been doing it for a very long time. I think what they're trying to do is is solve this problem at scale. They are doing it within hospitals. They're doing it in cruise ships. And I mean, what they're trying to do is essentially prove the fact that vertical farming can be done anywhere, whereas traditional farming requires large plots of land to actually create the outputs that we have. 
Alex, let me turn this on its head a little bit because Babylon Microfarms, it's farming, um, the technology behind it is an app experience. And that yeah. app experience is driven by uh, data that comes in and then there's an AI component that can help you better farm your, your products here. And I wonder, is this is this a farm, is, far, is it a farming product or is it an AI data product? Because really they're taking a certain set of inputs and then controlling the variables and the switches and the output. So to me, there's applications across a million different things and maybe farming is just the mechanism or channel that they've chosen to, to go with first. I, I think, why can't it be both, right? I, I think working in this industry, what, what I've heard over the last five or 10 years is people are no longer a fill in the blank, right? They're no longer a manufacturing company. They're no longer a bank. They're a technology company that works with money. They're a technology company that builds cars. And it's like, dude, no, you you are hmm. a car manufacturer. And so I think, again, coming back to, to, to Babylon and the experience that they're creating, they are solving a problem that we are going to experience in the coming years, right? There is not enough farmable space for us to sustain the population that we have. And if I read their website, they don't tackle this on their website. That's just common knowledge, right? Like we just don't have enough farmable space in, in our earth to actually sustain our populations. So we are going to need to do something like this. I think the whole Babylon way or their experience is you don't have to be there 24 seven, like most traditional farmers, right? The, the way of farming is hard. What they're saying is like, we have a controlled environment. It's remotely monitored. We're using AI and some sort of computer programming to actually like make you aware of what you need to do and when you need to do it. So we're, we're using this reminder mechanism plus AI to basically help you grow and grow the most effective and efficient crops possible. And oh, by the way, we're connecting you to our farm, our box through this application. I appreciate the authenticity, Alex, of just doubling down on the industry that companies are in. Because you're right. We do hear all these strategists and big picture people telling us to step back and that you're a technology company or you're a finance company or you're something else when in actuality they're working on farms here or we're making cars or we're doing whatever it is. Well, let me ask you this, Alex, if, if we're going into, we're saying they're a farming company. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think about the product? Talk to me a little bit about the design of it. Cause right now there's one product that they offer one kind of format, one look and feel. Certainly there's a, a million permutations of where it could go. But right now, they're, they're trying to make a go of it with one specific product. What's your take on the design? I'm not a vertical farming expert, but their design, without necessarily comparing it to other people's in the space, is awesome, right? It's just so cool. It's so clean. It's like a glass window that you open. They also have, like you said, right? They, they not only have this awesome design that's very elegant and showcases the different products that they're growing. It sits on top of a proprietary platform, right? It's, it's technology that is internally built by Babylon. And I think that connection is what makes it really cool. If, if you go onto Amazon and buy a vertical farming kit or a um, aquaponic kit, you don't have an app that controls it. You basically get seeds, a box, and, and some cool light. I'm, I'm not minimizing what these consumer products are doing. What Babylon is doing is creating a really nice customer, a great customer experience, and then they are using this platform, which I think is what some of this funding is going to be going towards to actually automatically control the, the growth conditions, right? Like the growing conditions, which that is cool. So we're the, the application of it and the technology behind it essentially is making farming easy. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. More effective. 
I wouldn't say easy, right? Like you're still trying to grow a plant, but it's making it more effective. It's, it's making it easier for the user, right? Like the average user. The, 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 Scheduling, harvesting, reordering. Gotcha. Yep. The output has a higher percentage of uh, reaching a quality threshold. Yes. I don't know if they're, I, I haven't seen them claim that, which, which I'd be surprised. But I, I think that's what they're pushing towards. My thought is they probably need a little more data. They do. I mean, I'm looking at their website right now, and they do say how much poundage, which is really interesting. Um, so each unit is capable of producing 4,160 full-size servings per year. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Hmm. This contract that they signed with the cruise line is, is awesome, right? Like how much waste is produced in a cruise line? I mean, they sure. literally have to like... I think they oversupply the boats and now they have fresh fruit and, or I shouldn't say fruit, but produce or, or some level of it being produced within the boats. That is really cool. I mean, as a chef, from a cooking perspective, as, as a, as a cruise goer, like you see this, you walk in, I'm guessing they're going to showcase this product as you walk into some of those restaurants. So you could actually see the fresh produce that you're about to eat. That experience is what I'm talking about. That is very cool. That's a cool curated experience. Yeah, I, I want to dive into the experiences a little bit because yeah, they give some examples of hospitals, uh, senior facilities, schools, restaurants. Yeah, and those are all places that could you know benefit from this as an aesthetic. Maybe not restaurants so much that usually try to you know thematically design their their experiences yeah. specifically, but hospital, schools, and senior facilities are generally more generic. Um, and generally have a more of an institutional feel and the opportunity to bring in not only not wildlife, but some foliage here, but you're also bringing in science and technology into the forefront, which is kind of a cool visual too. What are other, other uses that you can think of? What crosses your mind as the best places for this type of product? Oof, great question. I mean, the opportunities are endless, right? Um, I mean, imagine being in a multifamily unit in or, or in subsidized housing. I mean, that one's a good one. Like, let's talk about subsidized housing, right? Like it's, it's not only an educational tool, but it also gives one of the challenges. So I have worked with some organizations here in town. And one of the challenges that subsidized housing has is the quality of food that they have access to. People that live in these environments don't always have access to the highest quality of food. So imagine you put like some of these, like imagine it was subsidized by the government and we put these boxes, these experiences into these buildings. You're providing some education. You're offering a the, the potential of a higher quality of food. I think that's game-changing. It could be. What's noticeably absent from the website is a price point. Do you see any indication of what level of investment we're talking about here? No. Yeah, I, don't um, I mean, this is a B2B play. Sure. So, my guess is that there's a level of white glove support or white glove service that, that is happening here from the calls. Um, the fact that they're working with a cruise line just gives you insight into into who their target customer really yeah. is. Yeah. What about you? Where do you see this like? I mean, it's, it's not coming to a, a, a home near you. No, and I think that's what, what catches me off guard a little bit is there's a little bit of a coldness to it, a little bit of an industrialness. Um, and so when I think of more curated spaces like a home or a restaurant, it doesn't strike me that it works as well. And so like I'm looking at their website, one of their pictures has like a, it looks like a waiting room or a cafeteria type environment, maybe a medical office facility, something like that. So yeah, I, in order to play into its strengths, it feels like you would want to put this in a place that's a little more institutional and so that this adds warmth despite its own, you know, 
relatively cold steel glass aesthetic. You know, plants certainly help, but at the end of the day, it does look like a science experiment in a box. It loses a little bit of the aesthetic that I would hope for in a home or a restaurant. And that's just, you know, that's just being picky. I wish there were more options for the casing and for the design. And I realized that they're probably at a stage right now where they're just trying to put one MVP out there and then, you know, provide proof of concept and then get it, you know, scale from there. You know, it's really cool as an architect. I could see you how, like, I mean, your career in architecture, I should say, um, allows me to see how you think about that now as, as kind of like that next step. It's like, okay, so you have a product. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, how do we create versatility out of it? Like, how do I position it in different environments? Yeah, a lot of homes these days have, you know, center fireplace mantle, TV above or or artwork above, whatever it is, and bookcases on either side. I'd love to see a a feature like this that just is is a built-in. Like, that could be really compelling to me. Once I read a book, I don't take it down off the shelf that often anymore. But if each side of my fireplace had a little more day-to-day practical usage in terms of, uh, you know, Doing my own home farming, it could be kind of cool. So um, when nearing the end of the pandemic, I I really wanted to, and I still do, I wanted to build a farm, I guess a greenhouse, and I wanted to focus on an aquaponic greenhouse. So there's this hydroponic, right? Water-raised. Aquaponic is fish-raised. And so the whole principle between an aquaponic-like greenhouse is the fish essentially, for lack of better, fertilize the water. That the the nutrients are and the nutrients are then given to the plants. Mm-hmm. It's it's, it's yep. a really cool principle in theory, but a small greenhouse. I think it was about ten feet by twelve feet, which is not very big. Feeds a family of four fruits and vegetables for an entire year. And so I did all my research. Um, it was going to be solar paneled. We just had to feed, um, essentially it was self self contained. The quotes that I was getting for that were ranging between twenty seven and thirty five thousand dollars. <sighs> Right. And, and that, that's the kit yep. and install and all that other stuff. Right. So, yep. That's a hard hobby. I mean, right now, this, correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think we spend $30,000 on vegetables a year. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard comparison to make. Uh, you know, it's not unusual to say, Hey, there's a high upfront cost or an initial cost, but in most cases you're going to recoup those types of things over time. Um, when you talk about, you know, uh, gas for a Tesla or, or electric car, I should say, or whatever it is, yeah. some of those things have, you know, returns. They're just a little farther out. A lot of the sustainability features that are built into homes and things like that have that you know, long-term investment recoupment. But speaking of long-term, Alex, where do you see the future of this of this thing? Do you do you see them building bigger products? Do you th- see them building different products? Do you see them taking their technology and just scaling it to the larger farm system? I mean, all are certainly opportunities, but what do you think the strategic play is here if you were running Babylon Microfarms? Oof, there's so many things that come to mind. Um, Alex is going to be like, Alex is going to be shaking his head as I say any of these, right? Because he knows the answer. Of course. The, I mean, the data, right? So they have this proprietary platform with data that basically shows them what works and what doesn't for growing plants. They could sell that data, right? They could market that data to other locations. So that's the first one that comes to mind. The second one that comes to mind is essentially like the platform itself. Right now, they are focused on maintaining the product, the the self state, like the the structure, as well as the platform. Can they license the platform to other operators and reduce some of that cost while essentially bringing scale to the solution? And, and the other one is like like you said, different product sizes. Can can they can they create different product sizes and at different price points? 
that service different customers. So I think those are the three options that I would be looking in. Like the first one, essentially focus on the platform and outsource the actual product. Like that's a good one, right? Like that allows them to scale quick. Selling the data, creating creating a valuable database for farmers like that, that's insane. Yeah. Like in, in a controlled environment, which, which is very cool. What about you? Where do you see the future? Well, I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned Alex because we haven't mentioned Alex. So Alex, is it Olson? Olesson is the co-founder and CEO of Babylon Microfarms. And um, it'll be interesting to see where he takes this going forward. I, yeah, I mean, I... Despite some of my own personal criticisms of design and softness and, you know, coldness, it does seem ripe for adding to hospitals, schools, senior facilities. I, I think schools are, are a no-brainer. The opportunity for students to see technology in action, to add something high-tech to the school environment, to also have it benefit day-to-day cafeterias, things like that seems, uh, again, seems like a no-brainer to me. Hospitals, you know, anything that adds a little life and color to a, to a hospital, I think, is a good call. Um, and I think, see, I mean, one of yeah. the things that we haven't spoken about is is co op farming. Co op farming is when smaller farms get together mm-hmm. and essentially produce a single crop or or crops of uh, that that they have all agreed to. And there's one single co op that aggregates all of it to basically produce the volume that a big buyer might need. I mean, what if you had 30 of these situated across multiple buildings in Richmond, and that was the co-op. And then somebody essentially went through all these farms and picked them up, right? We are taking advantage of city space now, doing vertical farming within city space, and basically bringing it all together. I don't know, like, sky's the limit. This is such a cool product. I mean, I'm so glad that this is in Richmond. I mean, the fact that he was able to raise, what, $8 million? Yeah. Series A, if I'm not mistaken? Well, I'm glad you said that. I see a, some some of the things in their newsroom talk about Virginia-based startup Babylon Microphone Farms. And I, I think, you know, it's important that we take ownership here in Richmond that this is a Richmond-based company that seems to be thriving, seems to be very unique, also matches the culture of Richmond in a lot of ways. Um, we're a very practical city. We're tech-forward. And that there's a there's a utility to this product uh, that adds to the craft of Richmond. So we have a good food scene, a good drink scene, a good art scene, and I think this combines all of those things. It fits what we're doing here really nicely, and I'm glad to see it as as part of our ecosystem. We got to ask Alex if he could grow hops in a vertical farming unit. I, I think we have uh, that is part two deep dive conversation um, with Alex a lesson next time we're able to, to wrangle him around. But <laughs> Alex, I think this was a good uh, good kind of deep dive here into Babylon. I look forward to our next conversation about another company here in Richmond and, and how tech is being used and designed and using this platform as an opportunity to showcase the amazing tech and design that's happening here in Richmond. Great.